Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So the reading this morning is taken from John chapter 11, verses 17 to 44, and then I'll finish on with verse 53. So if you have your little booklets here, page 34 on your little booklets. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever believes by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen 
and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. I'm just going to pray for Steve as he comes to speak. So Father, we just pray now for Steve and we pray that you'd give him your words. And we know that this is such a difficult and sensitive topic. Is there hope in the face of death? But Lord, we know with you there's always hope. And I pray that you would remind each one of us, whatever our situations are here as we sit here this morning, that there is always hope in you. And I pray you'd help us to listen and to learn something new that we can take away and that you would be with Steve at this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Scarlett. Hope in the face of death. I don't think you ever forget the first time you encounter death. Do you remember when you first encountered death? And you felt the sting and the loss and the pain? Some of you know my story. I was eight years old, and it was my granddad's funeral. Uh, Being eight, the whole thing didn't really seem to become home to me beforehand. I knew mum and dad were upset. I didn't take any more in. And then we were playing soccer in the garden, me and my cousin, and he wasn't very good. So we kicked the ball past the goal. I was in goal, and it went straight into the garage door. And I went as the goalie to pick up the ball. And as I picked up the ball, there was granddad in the coffin. And he was white as a sheet. He looked exactly the same, but all the life had gone from him. And he was dressed up so smart. And the thing is, as I picked the ball up and saw granddad, my dad was saying goodbyes to his dad. And my dad had tears running down his cheeks. And he looked at me, he smiled, he kissed granddad on the forehead and walked out. He was gone. And my dad had said his goodbyes. The picture of granddad dying and my dad saying his goodbyes brought home to me the power of death. Death is fearful because it has absolute power to separate you forever from those you love. No coming back, no last opportunity to say goodbye, gone. Carl Jung put it chillingly like this, death is indeed a fearful piece of brutality. There is no sense pretending otherwise. It is brutal not only as a physical event, but far more so psychically. A human being is torn away from us, and what remains is icy stillness of death. There, is, there no longer exists any hope of relationship, for all the bridges have been smashed at one blow. Death is real. Death is final. There's nothing we can do. Death is the master over us. Yet throughout his life, No more so than John chapter 11. Jesus confronts death as its master. Humans have tried with all possible ingenuity to both defy and deny death. Only Christ has conquered it, defeated it, and deprived it of his powers over us. We rightly celebrate the advances in medical science, which help us live longer than our ancestors did. But no doctor, scientist, or pharmaceutical company will ever promise you eternal life. But there was one man who did. 
And in John chapter 11, he says some of the most famous words that can give you hope in the face of death. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And the question is, do you? That's the question. Do you believe this? If you don't, I'm not sure how you find hope in the face of death. If you do, you can find hope because death's eternal separating powers have been defeated. But having hope in the face of death doesn't make it easy. When someone dies, even if you have hope, it's still hard. I remember playing GAA a few years ago with some of the old boys at the Croaks just over the road there, and one of the lads had a cardiac arrest. And we thought he was gone. He went white. He was unconscious. His breathing was erratic. He urinated everywhere. Some of the lads did CPR on, his, on him to keep him alive until the ambulance came. And praise God, he, no permanent damage was done and he survived. And they said it was a miracle. He was dying before our eyes. We all thought it. It was traumatic. It was tough. We were shaken. Dealing with death is never easy. Well, in John chapter 11, we have two women who are dealing with death. And it's not easy for them. Their brother has died, and they had thought Jesus was going to prevent him dying. So not only is there the grief of the brother passing away, there's a pain and confusion of Jesus' absence. Why didn't Jesus intervene when he could have done? In fact, that's what's foremost in their minds. Did you see, if you listen carefully, they two sisters have exactly the same question. Verse 21 and 32 have exactly the same questions as they first meet Jesus. Lord says Martha. Lord, says Mary, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. So you have two sisters with the same brother and the same question to Jesus. But the two sisters are actually in very different places when it comes to hope in the face of death. So even though their question is the same, their approach to Jesus is different, and Jesus' response to them is different. In fact, we're going to see Jesus responds in four ways to death. He has truth, tears, anger, and grace. He has truth to Martha, tears to Mary, anger at death, and grace to us all. When you know the truth, tears, anger, and grace of Jesus, you can have hope in the face of death. So let's look at truth to Martha, verse 20 to 27. Notice what Martha does in comparison to Mary. She says this, uh, John writes this, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Notice the difference? But Mary stayed at home. There you see the two sisters in the two different places in their grief. One is ready to move to approach Jesus. One is too shattered at this stage to consider Jesus. And Mary clearly has hope because the narrator goes on, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. What an incredible. What an incredible thing to say at the funeral of your brother. Given all the emotion and the pain, she goes, no, no, I know, Jesus, how powerful you are. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. To which Martha says, this is the key verse, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day, verse 24. So Martha has faith, but actually not faith in Jesus. She has faith in the resurrection at the last day. What's she talking about? It's well known in Jewish theology 
that at the final resurrection of all God's people, God would vindicate his people, destroy darkness, every right would be wronged, every, he, every hurt would be healed, every brokenness would be fixed, every tear would be wiped away, he'd put an end to death itself, everything sad would come untrue, the resurrection at the last day. Yes, her brother would rise when God rises all God's people and vindicates all those and, and destroys darkness and evil forever. Then Lazarus will be brought into the eternal messianic kingdom. She's a good Jew. She believes in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus says, huh, you don't understand me then, do you, Martha? And I'll paraphrase. I am that resurrection and that life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is making the outrageous claim that all of Orthodox Jewish beliefs about the resurrection of the last day and God's final vindication of all people and his complete victory over darkness are personalized around him and become a reality now through faith in him. That that last day resurrection power has been brought into the presence, present to the, through the person of Jesus. If you were here a few weeks ago in John chapter 3, we can be born again. We can have resurrection power now. Peter would say, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Jesus is now the agent of resurrection life. It's not centered on the last day. It's centered on him. And what you do with him is whether you get resurrection at the last day. Yes, there'll be a resurrection at the last day. But what you do with Jesus determines whether you get that resurrection some will face eternal judgment and some will face eternal resurrection based on the resurrection and the life. Jesus is inviting Martha and you and I to radically reshape her hope around him. The indestructible life is not some future distant reality but a present reality through Jesus. And Martha seems to get it, verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God, who is coming to the world. And so hope is restored for Martha by truth from and about Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves, do we believe that all of our hopes in this life and the next are all found in him and that the future resurrection of all people to eternal life or eternal judgment depends on what you do with him? Do you believe this? But truth is not all you need in the face of death. And so what about Mary? We get tears for Mary. Verses 28 to 37. Oh yeah, we're behind here. We have the same dead brother. We have the same Jesus and the lack of intervention. We have the same question, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But she's in a different place to Martha. Mary is desperate. Look at verse 32 there. Look at verse 32. What does it say? She fell at his feet. Mary is desperate. She's lost in grief. She's at the end of herself. She's begging Jesus, not with her words, but with her heart. Do something with this pain. I don't have words. I just am at your feet. Desperate. And Jesus responds to her heart. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. There's no bold statement of faith. There's no theological discussion 
about the resurrection of the last day. There's no grand statement of him being the resurrection and the life. There are tears. What does Jesus give Mary? Tears. And they say, see the depths of his love. Jesus at the funeral of one of his best friends, and when he sees everyone crying and he maybe sees the body, he starts to weep. And I imagine you and I have done that. We were full of emotion going into the day, but we were holding it in, maybe rather sober. And then we see other people crying, and then we maybe see the coffin, and we see the moment the curtains come and take the co- And suddenly the emotions just come out. Even if you're at peace, tears will come. And Jesus is no different. But here's the question. Well, here's the point, sorry. If you find the grieving of a lost one so painful and that Jesus' words about the resurrection and the life are too straight for your heart right now, he gives you tears, not truth. He enters in. He mourns. He grieves. He cries. He weeps with those that weep. Even though in a moment he will raise Lazarus from the dead, even though we know how the story turns out well, he enters into the journey with us of the pain of this world, and he shares our emotion. Tim Keller was a a pastor of a church in New York, and the week after, the Sunday after 9-11, city shattered. Twice the number of people turned up to his church than had ever turned up, and he preached on John 11. And he asked the question, why did Jesus cry? He says, why? Why doesn't he just come in and say, wait until you see? If you knew you were going to turn everything around, would you be drawn down into the grief, entering in the trauma and pain of their hearts? Why would Jesus do that? Because he's perfect. Perfect in love. He will not close his heart even for 10 minutes. He will not refuse to go in. He doesn't say, there's no point going into all this grief. He goes in. If you find you cry in the face of death and loss and sadness, you're not immature. You're not weak. You're mature and engaged. Tears are not a sign of weakness. They're a sign of love. There's a lesson here for us all to be able to sit with people in their grief, not to fix it, not to talk too much, not to run around doing all the jobs, to sit and to cry with people in their grief because we love them. So there's two ministries of Jesus we need to follow as believers of Christ in a world full of death. You need the ministry of truth to give people hope in the resurrection and the life. And there's a ministry of tears, of entering in and being with people in their trials and their sadness. Which one do you need to learn? The ministry of truth? Bring hope with your words? Or the ministry of tears bring love with your comfort. We won't bring hope to this world if we don't have both. But there's more emotion from Jesus. Look at verse 33 and 38. Anger at death. Twice John tells us something else about Jesus' emotional life. Firstly, when he sees Mary weeping, he weeps. And when he sees the Jews weeping, he weeps. And he comes to the tomb of Lazarus. And look what we see, verse 33 and 38. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Now, the Greek phrase, no English translator seems to have the confidence to translate. They say deeply moved. It's a terrible translation. It means to quake with rage. 
One commentator says, when the same word is used outside the Bible, it can refer to the snorting of horses. So when it's applied to human emotion, it invariably speaks of anger. Jesus is furious with it. He's not deep. He's furious. He's roaring. He's snorting like an animal. He's quaking with rage. Rage. When he comes to the tomb for the second time and he's shared all the emotion with Mary, he sees the tomb and he's furious. Why? Why did he cry with Mary? Why did he quake with rage at the tomb? He knows how the story is going to end. It can't simply be he's crying because he sees Mary crying. It can't simply be that he's angry because his friend has died. He's about to turn the sister's mourning into dancing. He's about to raise a friend back to life. Why such intensity of emotion? Because he can't be at every funeral. He can't comfort every grieving sister. He can't bring every friend back from the dead. He can't turn every situation around. Death is still not defeated. And that is why he bellows with rage. Because death is an intruder into God's world. A world that is so beautiful has been marred by this horrible enemy called death. Jesus knew there'd be more funerals, there'd be more friends dying, there'd be more sisters weeping, there'd be more death. And although Jesus does raise Lazarus from the dead, it only highlights the problem. Even Lazarus would die again, you know. This wasn't his eternal life. Jesus' encounter with Mary and Martha and the raising of Lazarus from the dead points as much to the problem as it does to the Savior. If anything, it turns up the heat on the problem. It exposes the problem of death in humanity. Only Lazarus gets raised. We know of three people in the Gospels that get raised by Jesus. What about all the other thousands who didn't raise from the dead? Bruce Milne in his commentary on John says... At the bottom there, in Mary's grief, he sees and feels the misery of the human race and burns with rage against the oppressor of men. It is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death, he who had come into the world to destroy. Jesus quakes with rage at death because he knows it's an intruder into God's world and it's causing havoc and loss and grief. Because Jesus was there in the beginning. He remembers what it was like when the world didn't have death. Humans walked with God in the cool of the day. There was no sin, there was no death, there was harmony with God, there was harmony with one another, there was harmony in ourselves, there was harmony with the world around us. It was harmony, there was no death. And then we sinned. And the wages of sin is death, that's the punishment we deserve for rebelling against our Creator. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, says the Apostle Paul. Our sin and our law-breaking brought three types of death into the world. Physical death, the separation of the soul from the body. That wasn't there in creation. Spiritual death, the separation of the soul from God. We're now cut off from God. And eternal death, the separation of the soul and the body from God forever. And in this moment, Jesus quakes with rage at the oppressor of humanity. He can deal with this one death, but he's not going to deal with death entirely in this moment. But he will. How does the story end? So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. After Lazarus is raised from the dead, the enemies say, we've got to get rid of this guy. He's the most dangerous man that ever lived. We've got to get rid of him. Do you think Jesus knew 
that when he raised Lazarus from the dead, this was going to happen? Of course he did. He made a deliberate choice. He knew that the only way to interrupt Lazarus' funeral was to cause his own. The only way to bring Lazarus out of the grave was to bury himself. The only way Lazarus could get out of death once for, for all forever was if they killed him, the author of life. And so grace comes to us all. This is how he will deal with sin and death, death once and for all and deal with their eternal separating powers. He will die on a cross for sin. He will take the punishment for our sin. He will rise again to defeat death and render it ineffective. Death will lose its sting. And so think on this. Whenever you're grieving, whenever you say, God, if you'd been there, this wouldn't have happened. Why didn't you intervene, Jesus? Why did you let all this bad stuff happen? John 11 and Jesus' own death confirm it. It cannot be because he doesn't love you. We may not know the reason why God allows things to happen in this world, but we know why they don't happen. It's not because he doesn't love us. Look at John 11. Look at the tears. Look at the emotion. Look at him going to the cross to deal with this forever. We have a God so committed to ending suffering and death that he was willing to come into the world to share in that death for us. So is there hope in the face of death? I have to say, if you don't believe in Jesus, I just don't know how you get hope. Where is it? Death has eternal separating power. Where is the hope? Tolstoy said, death is just cruel and stupid. There's no consolation. And he's right. But if you believe Jesus' words, and if you not just believe the truth, but you encounter his tears, his anger, and his grace, there is hope unimaginable. Hope to face anything. Hope eternal. Dostoyevsky in the Brothers Karamarov, puts it like this at one point. And I think we all think like he does. I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for. That all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage in the world's finale. And at and that in the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all human hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atoning of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened to men. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life, what, uh, what Dostoevsky says is true. That world is coming our way. That eternal consolation of the soul for all of us that not only makes it possible to forgive but justify everything that happened, it's going to make sense one day. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you believe he's the resurrection and the life, please live freely. Live lightly. Live confidently. Live joyfully. May the resurrection of Jesus sweeten even the tough moments of life because this world is so short and passing and but we know the resurrection and the life. May our hope just inspire us day on day, not how I'm doing, not how other things, but Jesus is my resurrection of my life. May it give you a lightness. May you live without anxiety. May you be free from striving and envy because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. This life is passing. Eternal life is ours because we know Jesus. And you can bring that resurrection hope into as many lives as you can and as many places as you can with what? Truth and tears.
you're not a follower of Jesus here today and you're just exploring, thanks for coming. I hope the study in John 11 has helped you. My question to you is a simple one. Why wouldn't you give yourself to this man? Why wouldn't you? What is there not to love about him? What is there not to just want to fall down at his feet like Mary and in desperation cry out, save me, and he will? Why wouldn't you put all your hope for the certain death that is coming to you, certain death in him? Who, what else are you going to trust in? Stop doubting and believe. Today can be the day of discovering hope in the face of death. George Herbert was a 17th century poet, a sort of contemporary of Shakespeare and Milton, and he had a lovely way to put it. And we'll finish with this. Death used to be an executioner, but Christ has made him a gardener, an usher to convey our souls beyond the utmost stars and poles. In other words, death used to destroy us as an executioner. Now, death is like a gardener. It brings me out to be my best person. It just takes me to eternity, to my true self that I'll be forever. Let's take a moment to pray. I'll invite the band back and uh, then we'll have some time to respond in song. And then the Q&A. And if you want to ask a question, you can just take a photo of that and then uh, ask a question on the slider. Will you stand? Let's take a moment to be still. And to consider these things. Father, we thank you for this wonderful story of your son when he walked on earth. And he experienced our pain. And he knew the, the loss and the pain of losing someone he loved. And he knew the challenge of comforting grieving sisters. And he felt the sting of death, not just in his friends, but for himself. We thank you that only in Christ we can have hope. That he gives us hope for anything. Hope for our own death, but hope for the death of those we love. That we can help others encounter the resurrection and the life for themselves. Lord, we live in a culture that doesn't really want to talk about death. Wants to sweep it under the carpet. That wants to pretend it's just going to be okay. And Lord, as we think on these things, it's a somber moment, but it's a good moment for us as Christians to remind ourselves that this is our true hope, Jesus, and in him and the resurrection and the life that we can receive in him. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that are struggling at the moment personally with a death or some grief, that you would comfort them with your tears. And I pray for all of us, wherever we are, that we might grab more tightly hold of the only truth that will get us through our death. And that is Jesus. So we come to sing and worship him now. Amen.